A couple of weeks ago, we had new neighbors move in across the street from us, and we were excited to meet them, uh, partially because the, the people who lived in that house before them were probably a part of a biker gang. Uh, that's another story. But uh, we're excited to meet the, these new neighbors, and a few days after they move in, the, the guy who lives there has an Indiana University t-shirt on. I was you know, I'm from Indiana, huge IU fan. Uh, and here we are in Kansas City, IU t-shirt. So we go, I go across, I introduce um, myself to him. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Indiana University basketball fan. And I'm like, I'm a huge Indiana University basketball fan. And we're like, no way. And then he points at my, my Cubs hat I'm wearing. He's like, are you a Cubs fan? I'm like, I'm a huge Cubs fan. He looks back at me and says, I'm a huge Cubs fan. We keep talking. It turns out he's having a baby boy in early June. I'm a boy dad. He's going to be a boy dad. Listen, if, if I was to construct a neighbor in a workshop, this is what I would make. This is perfect. Um, this is going to be an easy person to get along with, which is what we want in our neighbors, right? Well, it, when Jesus tells a story about a neighbor, uh, not so much, interestingly. Uh, the story we're in today, Luke 10, uh, it starts with a guy coming up to Jesus and them having some conversation around, uh, how do you inherit eternal life? And they both agree on the answer, which is uh, they go to a passage in the Hebrew Bible, Deuteronomy 6, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so they agree, but then the guy asks Jesus, okay, so who is my neighbor? And that's an interesting question. Because that's not really his question. See, if we're commanded to love our neighbor, the guy's like, okay, well, well, tell me who my neighbor is. Who do I have to love so that I know who I don't have to love? Right? Who do I have to love? Which clearly, IU, Cub, Boy Dad is in that category. Who do I have to love and who do I not have to love? So when the guy asks Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? The question he's actually asking Jesus is who is my enemy? Who do I not have to love? And that's where it gets interesting. And I'm going to give it away because I want to pray for us. Jesus will try to open the man's heart to something it's closed to. And it won't work. The man's heart will remain closed. But I want our hearts to be open. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach this text. Father, when we read this story, Jesus is so clearly trying to open the hearts of his listeners to something that they were not open to. And so I pray our hearts would not be closed to those things. So would you open our hearts by your Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the guy asks the question to Jesus, who is my neighbor, which is really who is my enemy, and then Jesus tells a story. The story is about a man who goes from Jerusalem uh, down to, to Jericho, and on that journey as he's traveling, uh, robbers attack him and rob him and beat him and leave him for dead. And so there he is, he's left for dead, and a priest comes alongside him. Now, when Jesus says priest, the people listening to him would have assumed someone with resources of the elite part of society, more upper class. So the priest comes alongside the man and he passes by. He doesn't help. 
The second person that comes along is a Levite, and likewise, a scholar, more the elite end of the society, uh, well-resourced. He comes alongside the man, he sees the man, and he also walks around him. And now we're ready for the third character, and Kenneth Bailey, uh, who <clears throat> wrote a, a brilliant book on parables, he says, the people listening to Jesus at this point would have assumed, since Jesus had named some two of the more elite of society or, or more wealthy of society, they're now assuming Jesus is going to put them in the category of hero. Right? A normal, average, blue-collar Jewish man came upon this, this hurt man. That's what they're expecting, but that's not what Jesus gives them. Instead, he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now, just it's simply impossible for me to communicate the shock that would have been felt when Jesus brings a Samaritan into the story. Right? We know this, the Good Samaritan. Well, I know the story. No, 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 no. no. We don't know the story because there was there was significant racial animosity between the uh, Samaritans and Jewish people, and not just not just hostile. I mean, there was outright racism between Samaritans and Jewish people. They they did not like one another. So when Jesus injects a Samaritan into the story, it's, it's just hard to imagine the shock that would, have, that would have hit people, especially when Jesus begins to detail what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan stops and, and bandages the wounds. He cares physically for the person. He puts him on his donkey so that he can travel to the nearest inn. He brings him to a place of, of healing and then says to the innkeeper, Listen, I just I want you to I want you to to do whatever it takes to heal this man. You keep track of expenses and I will pay you back whatever it costs to bring this person back to full healing. Like I just cannot overestimate that everyone would be listening to Jesus just dumbfounded, mouth open like what? So Jesus ends the story and he looks at the man who asked the question, "Who is my neighbor?" which he's really asking, "Who is my enemy?" And Jesus said, okay, so who is the neighbor? And the whole point of that question is to get the man to say, the Samaritan. The Samaritan was the neighbor. Because that man did not believe Samaritans were his neighbor. He believed Samaritans were in this category. That Samaritans are my enemy. I don't have to love them. So Jesus says, who is the neighbor? The guy answers, the one who showed mercy. He can't even bring himself to say, the Samaritan was the neighbor. His, his enemy status for Samaritans was so thick, even the Son of God telling one of the most famous parables in history could not eliminate it. And this, this reality, this capacity human beings have to make enemies and keep enemies runs very deep in us. Ben Sass, a senator from Nebraska, he wrote a book called Them, and he writes this. The sociologists who study the psychology of enemies have learned that having foes has real psychic value. Enemies help give life coherence. They give us someone to blame, and they help us know what to expect. And if you turn on uh, a certain channel today... They have clearly defined who their enemies are. If you turn on the other channel, they clearly have defined who their enemies are. We do this so strongly. And Jesus tells a story where someone's asked, like, hey, who's my enemy? Who do I not have to love? And Jesus' answer to that question, who is your enemy? 
is no one. He's like, I want, I'm going to name the, the last person in the universe you want to love. And guess what? He is your neighbor, the Samaritan. So we need to wrestle with that. Disciples of Jesus do not have enemies. Is that true of you? And so it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, of course I don't have any. No, 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 no. Do you have people who you just, you instantly believe the worst of? You instantly read a narrative onto decisions they make that is, is not necessarily even true, but it's, just, it's the worst possible narrative you can read onto their actions. You have people, you just, when you think of them, you just, your, your anger boils up. Listen, I have those. If you don't, if you think you don't, you're just wrong. I'm sorry, you just are, right? We all have those people those peoples, those categories, those persons. And Jesus is, is wanting us to see they are your neighbor and you are called to love them. Who is my enemy? No one. That's, that's the first kind of half or reality of what Jesus is teaching. The second is Jesus kind of then gives, he answers the question the guy didn't ask, which is, okay, who's your neighbor? Well, it's the person you don't want, him, want it to be, it's Samaritan. So how do you love your neighbor? And Jesus gives uh, three kind of love, how to love your neighbor categories. And listen, if you're like, hey, did you just sneak a three-point sermon in the second part of this sermon? No, I didn't. It's going to be brief. Uh, but first, how do you love your neighbor? It's with compassion. So Jesus, he tells this story very, very intentionally. And we read, the priest, the priest comes to the place where the man was. He sees the man, and he passes by. Point two, the Levite comes to the place where the man is, sees the man, passes by. The Samaritan comes to the place where the man is, sees the man, and has compassion. Compassion is key to neighbor love. And, and what I love about this Greek word, if you look at its use, uh, the verb of this word, throughout the Gospels, it's only used of one person. Jesus. Jesus, and then here, Jesus tells a parable with, with the word in it as well. And my favorite place where it's mentioned is Matthew nine thirty six. We read of Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion, which is it's a stunning thing to think about. The Son of God looks at broken humanity and has compassion. Do you, do you believe Jesus looks at you that way? Or do you think Jesus comes upon you and he sees your brokenness, he sees your sin, he sees your failure, he sees the ways in which you live that you're not supposed to live, and he's just like, oh man, I'm, gonna, I'm walking around this, right? Do you think that's Jesus' posture towards you? Or do you have a biblical view of Jesus, which is that he has compassion. And when he looks at broken humanity, he sees people who are harassed and helpless, like she without a shepherd, who have been cut off from their relationship with God and therefore are moved off in directions that do not bring life. Do you have that view of Jesus for your yourself. You need that because Jesus wants us to have that view of others. Right? When Jesus gets in this narrative, he says, now you go and do likewise. You love the world like the Samaritan loved this man, which includes compassion. And so when you look out at the world, we don't see enemies. We don't see people who we look down with, uh, you know, with condescension, or we're better than them, or we figured out more than them. No, 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 no. We look at this world as broken, cut off from God. And without the compassion of Jesus, which we have received by grace, 
This world has not the hope that it needs. Do you look on others with compassion instead of looking on others as your enemy? Neighbor love requires passion. But second, neighbor love requires generosity. Right, and this is like this is where I think Jesus would have really stunned them in a couple of ways. First, financial generosity. Right, so the Samaritan, uh, he, he takes the guy to an inn, and he says to the innkeeper, listen, whatever cost is required, I'm going to pay it. Um, and I've heard a lot of, of commentators uh, point out that innkeepers were not exactly like the most trustworthy people in the world. And so to enter into an open financial relationship with an innkeeper would be a little naive <laughs> and, and just a little outrageous. And yet Jesus, is, I think, is highlighting that just to show this man is just ready to give financially to someone in need. Now, we did a study this week, and we found, or when we did the survey, sorry, about 85% of our congregation has not been affected with their job or work uh, through this pandemic, which means your economic, most, most people's economic life in our church has not been affected. But our culture's life has, right? I mean, our culture, economically, is like this man lying dead in the road. And I would just challenge you, if you're a Christian, and your economics has not been affected, I think, listen, I want to challenge you. Uh, you should be putting more money away now to give away to those in need than you were before the pandemic. If your economics has not been affected, you should, like, there should be a, a budget item carved out for you where you're just ready to give. And, and listen, here's what's great. A lot of you have asked me, how, how can I give? How can I be generous? Let me give you four ideas really briefly. First is look at your neighbors, your friends, your family, has someone lost their job? Could you buy them a really generous gift card or offer to pay their mortgage for a month or pay an electric bill? Something like that where you can just help them meet their needs. Someone close to you that you're, you're relationally responsible for. Two is continue to give generously to the local church. We have um, a significant amount of our dollars set aside for benevolence. We grew that, that, uh, that item of money in this, in this season. Giving to your local church helps us uh, pool our resources, receive requests, discern how to best be generous without encouraging dependence. And so we, we want to help be, we want to be generous at this time. So give to your local church. Third, give to Advice and Aid, um, our partner, right? They're on the front lines of caring for the poor and the vulnerable, unexpected pregnancies. And they, they're, they're meeting with those families regularly. So give to Advice and Aid. That would be a great way to give. Or fourth, and listen, man, I hope we all do this. Like, just, just be like Samaritan. Put a big, big wad of cash in your pocket and just be ready in case a need comes upon you. Maybe you're, you know, you're all debit card at this point. Put money in your budget. You're just ready to spend when the time comes, when you encounter someone with need. You don't have to go ask someone else. You don't have to look around. You just go and help someone in need. So this loving your neighbor requires financial generosity and also requires, second, what I'll call social generosity. One, one aspect of this story I did not realize until this past week studying it, um, and, and this is reading Kenneth Bailey's interpretation of this narrative, is Bailey points out it would have taken enormous courage for the Samaritan to, to heap up the Jewish man, take him into a Jewish community, and, um, and go into a Jewish inn. And think of it like this, you know, we'll do a shallow illustration first. Uh, K-State KU basketball game is over. Whoever your favorite team is, they won. Um, but after the game, a K-State fan uh, gets beaten up, is left for dead, and he's there lying in, in an alley in Aggieville somewhere. 
And a KU fan comes upon him, he scoops him up, he takes him into the So Long Saloon, which just pretend they have hotel rooms, but they do, maybe, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> takes him into So Long Saloon, and the K-State fans look at the person coming in. It's a KU fan holding on to a K-State fan who's been beaten up. How are they going to interpret what just happened? All right, that's a shallow illustration. Let me give you, like, actually, actually what's going on here. Imagine instead the Deep South in the the 1800s, early 1900s, mid-1900s, Jim Crow, and an African-American man picks up a, a white woman who's been beaten very badly and is, is, uh, is almost dead. And he carries that, that white woman into a, a white-owned restaurant. What's going to happen? How are they going to interpret uh, what, they're, what they're looking at? Kenneth Bailey says that the Samaritan shows incredible social courage to cross this boundary. And, and this is really where I want to end this, is that Christians should be crossing social barriers that our society and culture build. Listen, it, it's not just Jews and Samaritans that had animosity towards one another. Studies today show the middle class and the poor very, uh, spend almost no time together. We tend to silo off into those categories. I think this past week has shown the gap between the experience of African Americans in our country and um, white Americans with the killing of George Floyd a couple weeks ago, Ahmaud Arbery. We just, it seems like when cultures are built, they, there is very intentional work done to separate us, to keep us apart, and to build animosity. And if you've watched the news in the last week, that's exactly what, what continues to happen. And what happens in this narrative where Jesus says, now you go and love like this, is that Samaritan looks at barriers that the culture has built and says, I'm not, I'm not playing by those rules. I'm crossing them. And so I want to challenge you, as you, especially as we process the, week, the events of the last week, not to, not to read a narrative onto what happened and to give an interpretation, but to cross a barrier. Two ideas. One, you know, a lot of us right now, a great way we can support our local economy is just to order takeout from restaurants. And I want to challenge you, order takeout from an African-American-owned restaurant. There's a great one right at 31st in Truth called Ruby Jeans. I've been there. It's amazing food. Go and drive down there and grab food from them and, and talk to the, the workers. Inter, you know, ask and, and just connect with people across the social barrier. Um, maybe you have another restaurant you would order from. That's one. Cross that social barrier this week. And two, I'm going to do this in a moment, is instead of jumping into our narratives about George, uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, especially now as we see rioting across our country, instead of jumping into a narrative, just, just lament this broken world. I saw this picture of, of George Floyd. It's, um, it's him holding his Bible with some of his friends. Um, uh, we now read, uh, have uh, heard uh, through Christianity Today, there's an article out about uh, the work he did in Houston as a person of peace, trying to bring peace to broken neighborhoods. And, and this is a time just to lament the fact that a man's life was taken um, in a very senseless way. And not just that, but there's a, there's a segment of our culture, our society, African Americans, who 
who feel like they're a distant barrier or there's a, a barrier between their experience and my experience and I need to cross and just listen. And in listening, lament with them at the loss of, um, of a human being's life. I just want to cross the social barrier today. Uh, you know, if, it seems like Satan is invested in creating these barriers and he's so good at it. Church, let's not, let's tear it down this week. Cross it. Find a way. And the third and final how to love your neighbor cue here in the Good Samaritan is, is the gospel. All right, so you go forward to Romans, uh, a New Testament letter Paul writes, and he says there's two things true of every human being. Number one, every human being is spiritually dead, for the wages of sin is death. Every human being is spiritually dead. That is basic gospel theology. You on your own spiritually are dead. And secondly, God is not just our, our Savior. He is first our enemy. We made God our enemy. Roman, that's Romans 5. We are enemies of God. So here we are. We're spiritually left for dead, and God is our enemy. And then, and then Jesus, Son of God, our enemy, comes along the side of the road where we're spiritually dead. And what does he do? He heals our wounds. He condescends to us. He doesn't look with condescension on us. He, in the words of H.F. Light, a poem from the 1800s, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well our feeble frame he knows. In his hand he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. He bears us up on his own animal. He goes and he, he, he announces whatever price it will cost to per- bring this person back to life, I will pay it. And he does, by his own blood, with his own body, to raise us back to life. And if you and I are going to love our neighbors, cross barriers, be financially generous, have compassion, we have to receive that salvation from Jesus first, that we were spiritually dead and our enemy saved us. And when you experience that, and Jesus comes to you and asks you, who is your enemy? The answer is no one. My enemy actually saved me. And Jesus looks at us and says, how should you love your neighbor? Answer, the way Jesus loved me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we begin or I begin this prayer in a place of lament. That throughout history, in all cultures, in all societies, the barriers we see here between Jews and Samaritans continually get built up and separate human beings from one another. And so we thank you first that Jesus, he transcended, crossed that barrier into our life to bring us life. And I pray that that salvation would root deeply in us to enable us to cross those barriers with our neighbors. So we lament the the death, the killing of George Floyd, of Ahmaud Arbery. We lament the tension and, um, and violence and anger in our culture and society today. And our prayer is simply, come Lord Jesus.
Amen.